Well, good morning, friends. It's so good to see you. If you're here with us in person, good to see your face. If you're joining us online, we're thankful that you're able to do so. My name is David. I serve here at Trinity as lead pastor. And my wife, Erin, and I, we have three little girls. Uh, actually, one of them was recognized in the announcements this morning, Lilia. She's 12. We have Caroline, who's 10, and Madeline, who is 7. And I learned that parenting young children is a balancing act in many ways, right? But one of the ways that I didn't really anticipate is that when you're parenting little kids, there's a balancing act between teaching them that there are certain things they must share and certain things they must never share. <laughs> we, we try to teach our kids to share their toys and, and, and to share their lives and to share kind words. But then also we try to get our kids not to share certain things with other people. And one of the most dangerous moments in a church building is when the kids' church asks for prayer requests from children. <laughs> Parents, all your dirty laundry is about to be aired by your very honest kids. Well, I want to pray for mommy and daddy because they were yelling at each other the whole way to church this morning. <laughs> and so it's like this sort of like, here's the things you should share and here's the things you should not share. And even as we grow up, we realize there are some things that we should, we should be willing to share. Our lives, our time, our talent. Our treasure. There are some things we should not share, our germs. Uh, we don't have to share our opinions on everything, right? But one thing that as believers, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, one thing that all of us should be ready to share is our faith. Peter tells us in his letter that we should be ready at all times to give an answer, give the reason for the hope that we have. And I realize that for some people, they would say, well, there, that's the problem with Christians, actually. I don't mind you having your own faith. You can believe whatever you want. Just don't try to tell me about it. And uh, I found this interesting quote. I think I've shared it with you before. If you're familiar with the famous magician duo, Penn and Teller, one of them, Penn Gillette, I think he's the one that, that talks during their presentations, he, uh, he's an atheist. But when they asked him about Christians sharing their faith, I thought he had a really interesting perspective. And I, I, it's helpful for us. He actually said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, proselytize is not a word I love, but it basically means share your faith. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he goes on to say, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This really resonated with me because this is a man who's not a believer. He doesn't even believe in God, but he recognizes the inconsistency in the life of a Christian who says, I believe that not just is eternal life possible, but life here and now, the abundant life that Jesus promises is possible. But if it's awkward, I'll just keep it to myself. Now, it's worth noticing that when Peter said that you should be ready to give an answer for your hope, he goes on to give us some qualifiers. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. So this is not permission to be a jerk with your faith or to try to ram your faith down the throats of people who are not ready to receive. But we do need to be ready. And so as we're in the second week of our series called Transformed, where we're talking about who we are as a church, where we're headed, and how we're actually going to fulfill the mission that God has given us, I want to remind us again of our vision statement that as a church, we exist to see gospel transformation in every area of our lives and in every life in our area. Start in us, gospel transformation, radical spiritual and social change in every area of our lives lives uh, and then in every life in our area because we believe that what God does in us he wants to do through us right 
And so how, what does gospel transformation look like? And this is the discipleship pathway that we believe that God has given us to walk people through. And this is the big uh, logo that you see out, the graphic you see out in the lobby. This is what you see on our shirts this morning. This idea of come and see Jesus, which is what we're talking about this morning, connect and be you, and commit and lead others. In these next three weeks, we're going to be laying out our discipleship pathway and you're going to be able to ask yourself, where am I in this journey, and how do I move forward in my faith? And so this morning, as we look first at the idea of come and see Jesus, I want us to look at a story in John chapter 1. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. John is a little different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot in common. They're called the synoptic gospels. But John was written 20, 30 years later with a very different intent in mind. So John's gospel is quite unique from the other three. And he starts here in John chapter 1, dives right into the life of Jesus. We're going to look at while Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. We're going to pick it up in verse 43. I'm reading to you from the NLT this morning. And it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Now, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets, that means the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph, and he's from Nazareth. Now, this was a normative way in which you would go back one verse. This is a normative way in which you would introduce somebody back in this time, their name, who their dad was, and where they were raised. Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, Nazareth exclaimed, Nathaniel, can anything good come from, Nathan, from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Come and see Jesus. Verse 47. As they approached, Jesus said, now he's speaking of Nathaniel, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, or other translations say, a man in whom there is no guile or deceit. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. This is a messianic statement. You are the Messiah. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, you will see all heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So what we're going to do this morning to make sense of the story is we're going to look at each of the three main characters, Philip, Nathaniel, and Jesus. And we're going to start by looking at Philip. And when we look at Philip, what we see is the way in which he responds and lives his life is the way in which you and I, as followers of Jesus, should live our lives. He does five very specific things that each of us should be doing. And the first thing he does is that when Jesus comes to him and says, come and follow me, he responds to the call to follow after Jesus. And from that day forward, whenever, wherever we find Jesus, we find Philip, because he's a follower. Do you know that there's a difference between being a fan and being a follower? There's lots of people who are fans of Jesus. They think he's okay. They like some of his teaching. They, they like some of his ethics. They like some of the things that he stood for. They think that he's a good man. And when it fits their purposes and their agenda, they will prop up Jesus and something he said to, 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 to make their point. That's being a fan of Jesus. A follower of Jesus submits themselves to all of Jesus' teaching and to everything that it means to follow after Jesus. Fans wear crosses of, around their necks. Followers carry crosses on their back. 
And Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And so Philip becomes a follower of Jesus. The second thing that he does, and I love this, is that he immediately, do you notice how quickly it is? He immediately goes looking for someone else. And if we are followers of Jesus, then in every moment of our lives, we should be looking for other people that we can share with them the good news of who Jesus is. My question before you this morning is, who are you looking for? Who are you going after? Who are you fighting for? Who, are, who has God put on your heart and said, I'm going to fight for this person. I'm going to look for them. I'm going to look for opportunities to share with them the hope that Jesus has given to me. And then the third thing that, that Philip does here is it's, it's easy to miss, but he shares his story first, right? He says, I've experienced this. But then he also shares God's story. He brings Nathaniel back to the Old Testament and reminds him of the messianic promises. And so once we find someone and we go looking for them, what do we do next? We share our story, but also we have to share his story, right? What is your story? Do you know what God has done for you? And if you listen to many Christians share their testimony, is maybe the, the term that we're more familiar with, or share their story, if you're not careful, your story often will make you the hero of it. Well, I was really doing some bad things. I was really struggling. And then I came to a church, and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't living right. And, and, and I decided to give my life to Jesus. And ever since then, I've been doing my best to live right. Well, you're really the hero of your own story. Instead of a story like this, I was lost, and Jesus found me. And he came and he saved me. And I realized that he did for me what I could never do for myself. So even when you tell your story, make sure that your story doesn't sound like a self-improvement project a self-salvation effort, make sure that your story has only one hero, and the hero is not you or a pastor or a preacher or a teaching or a church service even. Make sure that the hero is Jesus. But then ultimately, even after you share your story, you do need to help people understand God's story. What has God done through the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration of all things? And this is what Philip does here, number three. The fourth thing that Philip does here, and I think this is very timely in our society today, is Philip doesn't get dragged into fruitless arguments. What was, Naz what was Nathaniel's big issue? Nazareth, that, that place, <laughs> that armpit of a town, like he did not like, now why didn't Philip like Nazareth? There's, there's three possible reasons, and it could have been all three of these. One, Nazareth was not impressive. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's sort of this newer named area. It probably had less than 2,000 occupants in this little town of Nazareth. So sort of like nobody would have thought that anything impressive would have come from Nazareth. Also, Philip grew up in Cana, which was about four miles from Nazareth, and Cana and Nazareth actually have a historical rivalry between them. So it would sort of be like a New Yorker saying, Boston, what could come out of Boston? Or a Boston saying, what, could good, what good could come out of New York? But the other thing is, is that Philip, who we'll learn, was a man who knew the scriptures. He knew where the Messiah was supposed to come from. Not from Nazareth, but from Bethlehem. One of the amazing things about Jesus' life is that he fulfilled the messianic promise to be born in Bethlehem, but he was never for his life called Jesus of Bethlehem. He's always called Jesus of Nazareth, which was not unusual. That's where he grew up most of his young life. And it's almost like it was a way in which the spotlight stayed off of Jesus for a season because they thought he can't be the Messiah. He's... So whatever the reason was, Nathaniel wants to have an argument about the validity or the quality of Nazareth. And I just love that Philip won't get pulled in. <laughs> Listen. People are going to want to fight with you about all sorts of stuff. Well, Christians do this, and Christians vote this way, and Christians say this, and Christians stand for this, and Christians... And all Philip says is, come and see Jesus. 
You can't win in those arguments. Don't get pulled into all those little fights. Just keep the focus on Jesus. Yeah, I realize the church has done some terrible things. I realize the church has made some poor stands throughout history. I realize the church is not perfect, and it will never be perfect because it's made up of people like you and me who are not perfect. But the hope of the world is not the church. The hope of the world is Jesus. So come and see Jesus. And then, and then that's the fifth thing that he does. He invites Nathaniel. So in the, in the, in when we look at Philip, we see these beautiful five things he does. He responds to Jesus' call to follow. Number two, he goes looking for others. Number three, he shares his story and God's story. Number four, he avoids fruitless arguments. And then lastly, he invites Nathaniel to come and see. In our discipleship pathway, we believe that anyone who's going to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives, it has to start with a come and see encounter with Jesus. Some of you could get up here right now and you could share that moment. Others of you, it's been more progressive. You didn't have a dramatic come and see moment. You're having kind of a progressive come and see Jesus moment. And that's okay, because when you look in the New Testament at the two most prominent leaders, Peter and Paul, they had very different conversion experiences, didn't they? Paul had this dramatic conversion experience where he was physically knocked off a horse and had a vision of Jesus Christ on the cross, and it changed his life in a moment, and he became a radical apostle and church planner and preacher for Jesus. But what about Peter? If you study Peter's life, he's like the stock market, up and down, up and down, says something good, gets rewarded, and then in the next breath, Jesus calls him Satan. Where does Peter's growth? It's gradual. It's, it's not super dramatic. And wherever you are at, we believe that the first step of following Jesus is to come and see him. And in seeing him, we see his beauty and his truth, and we're changed by him. So as a church, what we're committed to doing when we think about our discipleship pathway and creating environments that fit those different areas of this circle for us, come and see Jesus is our Sunday morning service. That's why Sunday mornings, from everything that we sing to everything that we say, it's going to be all about lifting up the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you get tired of hearing about Jesus, you're not going to like it here very much. Because we're going to preach about Jesus and the gospel every single week. I was doing the math recently. There's 52 Sundays in a year. The average Let's say the average Christian goes to 40 Sundays a year. Um, that's probably maybe right. That might even be high. But 40 Sundays a year. Let's say my average message is 30 minutes long, which it usually is 25 to 30 minutes long. That means I have 20 hours a year to talk like this. And I'm not going to waste a single second of those 20 hours talking about something other than Jesus. It isn't worth your time. It isn't worth my time. And it doesn't have the power to change your lives. Some people might prefer that I would chase after other topics and go after other things. And I'm just telling you, on Sunday mornings, we are fully devoted to a come and see Jesus environment because we want to create a space on Sunday mornings where your friends, your Nathaniels that you've gone looking for can come in here. And every Sunday, you can be guaranteed of one thing. They will hear about who Jesus is and what he has done for them and how he can change their lives. But I also want to say this, because there's a danger in the church world when we see a phrase like come and see Jesus, we think, oh, so my job is just to invite people into a building where a professional Christian can tell them about who Jesus is. And I want you to know that that couldn't be further from what Jesus has in mind for his church. Pastors are given as gifts to the body not to do the ministry, but to equip saints for the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, right? 4.18, I think. My responsibility, Pastor Jason, Pastor Vicky, Pastor Unhi, Pastor Antonia, we're not, we're not the professionals who do all the ministry and then you come in and you consume the ministry and then you go back out with your life. Our job is, we're not the players on the field, we're the coaches in the dugout. And we're equipping you to do the work of ministry. So here's what I'm saying. 
Come and see Jesus isn't just, can I get my friend into a building so a professional can tell them about who Jesus is? Come and see Jesus means that you live your life in such a way where every moment of your life is invitational to people. Come and see Jesus in my life. Come and see Jesus when I'm suffering. Come and see Jesus when I'm struggling. Come and see Jesus when things are going well. Come and see Jesus in my home and how I, how I love my spouse and how I care for my children. Come and see Jesus out to dinner uh, in the backyard for a barbecue. And I've always said that the first seat you invite people to should not be a seat in this room, but a seat in your house. Because invitational is good, but invitational works best when it flows out of relational and missional. Philip didn't sit back and say, come, Nathaniel. He went looking for Nathaniel. So as we go looking for people, we have the opportunity to say, come and see Jesus. Disciples are people who go looking for people so that they can invite them to come and see. Okay. Now let's look at Nathaniel in the story. Uh, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming to him, and he says something very interesting. He says, now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Other translations say, Jesus says, here is a true Israelite, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit and no guile. Now, what is that all about? And we need to do a quick trip back in time to a story where uh, Isaac and Rebekah, who are, Isaac is the son of Abraham, he's the son of promise. These are, this is the family that God has chosen through whom he is going to bless the world and bring the Messiah eventually. Isaac and Rebekah have twins, and their names are Esau and Jacob. And Esau is born just moments before Jacob. In fact, Jacob comes out of the womb, either literally or metaphorically, grasping after the heel of Esau. And it's a picture of what the rest of their lives will look like, where they cons- consistently and continually battle for supremacy. My, my oldest daughter, Lilia, uh, who is 12, was born 10 hours after her cousin Carter. And those 10 hours kill her. She, she wishes she was born 11 hours earlier because she wants to be the older. But with Esau and Jacob, there was way more at stake than just being older. This was a primogeniture society where the oldest son received the blessing. And so Jacob becomes, he actually, his name actually means supplanter, deceiver, one who uses guile to get his way. And it's true of Jacob for much of his life. He steals a blessing from his, he steals the blessing of the firstborn from Esau by tricking his blind father into giving him the blessing. He goes on, to the, on the run. He meets his uncle Laban, who is just as much a deceiver as he is, and they deceive each other back and forth. Jacob eventually has this encounter with Christ uh, that changes his life, and his name becomes Israel. But here's why I'm telling you this story. When when Jesus looks at Nathanael, here's what one translation says Jesus said. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Jacob's name means deceit, guile, and it's a play on words. Jesus is doing a play on words. He's saying, here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Here is a man in whom there is something Uh, that does not exist. And what Jesus says here reveals two very important things for you and I this morning about the nature of change, okay? And the first thing is this. You and I have to come to Jesus for change. We can't give it to ourselves. There is a heart change. You might be able to change your style. You might be able to change your weight. You might be able to change your attitude. You might be able to change your career, but you cannot change your heart. Only Jesus can do that for us. And so when Jesus sees Nathaniel coming to him, he knows Nathaniel's heart just like he knows your heart and my heart this morning. And only at Jesus' feet do we find the hope for our hearts to be made new and for God to create within us a new heart. 
But the second thing that we learn here about the nature of change is this, is that the change that Jesus brings offers and offers is not just for obviously messed up people. It's not just for people whose lives are a mess and who are making all sorts of poor decisions because Nathaniel was an Israelite in whom there was no deceit or guile. He was a good man. He was a faithful Jewish man, but he still needed to come to Jesus. The change that Jesus wants to bring is not just for people whose lives are a mess. It's actually for people whose lives seem to be all together. But they still need this change that Jesus offers us. It's for the best of us because our best isn't enough. So what does this mean for you and me as we're Phillips going out looking for Nathaniels? Don't overlook people who seem to have it all together. Yes, go to the hurting. Go to the outsider. Go to those whose lives are in a mess. Very often, they're in a place where they're looking for answers that are found in Christ. But don't look at people in your work and go, I don't know. I mean, I know he's not a Christian, but he's a pretty cool dude. I know she doesn't go to church and love Jesus, but she's actually super kind and nice. I'm not sure she needs what I have. Do not overlook the people in your life who have their act together because often underneath the surface, if you could see inside their beautiful homes and their beautiful lives, you would find that there is misery and suffering and a lack of answers and hope. And when we look at Nathaniel, we realize that everyone, even the best of us, needs change. Nathaniel says, how did you know who I was? And Jesus says something interesting. He says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now, I don't know what that means. I really don't. And scholars don't know. And they don't really agree. They have lots of different guesses. We don't know what it means, but that doesn't matter. Because you know what? Nathaniel knew what it meant. And all of a sudden he realized there was a significant moment in his life A spiritual moment, perhaps. If you've been watching The Chosen, which I highly recommend, which is something you can watch through an app on your TV, it's a retelling of the New Testament. Two episodes ago was the story of Philip and Nathaniel. And their version of it is that Nathaniel has this moment under a fig tree where he's questioning the goodness of God. And then he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It's a powerful retelling of it. They're guessing, but it's still worth watching. We don't know what happened, but Nathaniel knew what happened. And here's what I want to say to you, and here's what I think it means to us this morning. Nathaniel was ready to believe, and there are people in your life that are ready to believe, and we don't realize they're ready to believe. We don't know where people are at, so we have to keep inviting people to come and see. Philip didn't know that Nathaniel had this moment under the fig tree, but Jesus knew that Nathaniel had this moment under the fig tree. And there are people in your lives, family members and friends and coworkers and people who go to school with you, who God has been working on their hearts preparing their heart. They've had a fig tree moment, and all they need is someone to say, come and see Jesus. And when they come and see Jesus, Jesus will point them out and say, that was me. In that moment, I saw you, and I was there. Come and see Jesus. God was, God is, I believe that God is setting your friends up. (laughs) He's setting your family members up to have this moment where they will come and see Jesus. As we close, and have the band come up, we're going to sing a song we lastly, we look at Jesus. I want to go back to this verse in verse 50. Let's read this together. It's on the screen here. It says that Jesus asked him, do you believe this? He's speaking to Nathaniel. Do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? So Nathaniel, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel like throws all his cards in. <laughs> He's like, you're the Messiah. And, and, and Jesus is like, I got better stuff coming. Like, that was kind of cool, but like, w- just keep, keep your eyes on me and keep on. You will see greater things than this. And then look at this next verse, verse 51. He says, then he said, I tell you the truth, which is like, lean in, look in, get this. You will see all heavens open and the angels of God give, going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Well, what is this all about? 
And we have to go back to the same person we talked about earlier, Jacob, in the Old Testament. And in Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run for his life. He's stolen the firstborn blessing from Esau. And Esau told Jacob, Jacob, as soon as our father dies, you're going to die next. Basically, dig two graves. His father dies, and Rebekah, who loves Jacob, says, Jacob, run to your uncle Laban. Get away from here and run for your life. And here's Jacob on the run for his life, exhausted. He falls asleep, and all he has is a stone for a pillow, and he falls asleep. In the middle of the night, he's woken up to a dream or to a vision, and what he sees is a ladder from heaven to earth and angels going up and down it. And this is the story that Jesus is referencing when he talks to Nathaniel. And here's what Jesus is saying. For a faithful Jewish believer, angels were viewed as mediators of God's word to man and man's word to God. And we actually see that in Scripture where angels were sent uh, to Mary and to, and, to, and to Eli to speak specific words. And then we even see in the Old Testament where angels were fighting and battling to bring prayers right into the presence of God. So that's a true view. But Jesus is saying something better is here now. And here's what he was saying to Nathaniel. Keep your eyes on me. Keep watching. Because what you're going to see is just like the angels mediated man's word to God and God's word to man, I'm the true mediator. I'm the latter. I'm the way. I'm the way between heaven and earth. And Philip, for the next three and a half years, and Nathaniel, for the next three and a half years, walked with Jesus, kept their eyes on Jesus, saw amazing things, and then they saw him go to the cross and die. They saw the resurrected Lord, and they realized this is what he was talking about many, many years ago. He's the way. There's no way to the Father but through Jesus. And when we invite our friends to come and see Jesus, we're not just inviting them to a nicer life, to a better life. We're inviting them to the only hope that's available for this life and for the next life, to come and see Jesus. Nathaniel would see. He said, you will see greater things. Keep looking at me. And I want you to hear this morning that Jesus still says to his people, you will see greater things. Keep your eyes. Because come and see Jesus, even though we have it listed as our first step, Come and see Jesus is not a first step. It's every step of the way. As we behold Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold Christ, we become like Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And as you keep your eyes on Jesus, here's what he'll do. He will send you out looking for others so that you can come up to them and say, come and see Jesus. Let's pray together.